Now, some of you may not know that this is an Anglican church. And of course, Anglicans are meant to pay due attention to the services that are authorized for worship and to the guidance or rubrics, as they're called. And I felt it right this morning, this first Sunday after Easter, to check the rubrics for the services in Easter, and indeed to follow some of them, or at least some of them. So here is one of the rubrics for the guidance for the Easter services. The Easter acclamation, Alleluia, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, Alleluia, is used. We haven't used it yet, we will in a moment. This might be followed by shouting, fireworks, party poppers, balloons, confetti, and the use of other items of celebration. It's there in the proper book. I haven't made it up. It's not new wine. It's there. So I thought we, would, uh, we should repeat the Easter acclamation and use at least one of those authorized means of celebration. So here goes. Alleluia! Christ is risen! Oh. oh, actually, it's not a party popper. It's a little bit of champagne. I thought there was a party popper, which I put out for the drawer. Or something. And actually, ah, no, 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 no. I know what it is. Right. Sorry, it is an authorized means of celebration. Oh. It's working well, yeah. Keep going. Well, well, it's a bit like the Anglican Church, really, isn't it? A bit of a damp squib. Now, now I'm covered in I'm covered in fairy liquid or something. Oh well. Someone sent me an email yesterday. Uh, the contents of which are: I see you're talking about heartburn tomorrow. I can bring some Rennies along. We could have a Rennie party and all go home feeling better. Well, I indeed, I hope you will go home feeling better, but not because you've taken some Rennies. And I hope neither verbal indigestion nor uh, heartburn will spoil your morning. But rather like the two disciples in the reading we had, you'll go hurrying home after the morning service, full of joy and wonder. But the day for the two on the road to Emmaus didn't begin with joy and wonder. Their day began rather in the same way it began yesterday for the parents of those young Canadian ice hockey players who were killed in that coach crash. Or as it began for many a family around the world, waking up this morning to tragedy, to a great sadness, or just really, really bad news. The day began in tears, in bewilderment, and in shock. And even though our two walkers weren't part of the inner core, the inner twelve, they were in their next circle out, they still felt that. One named Cleopas, the other no name, walking that road together. And maybe in a few minutes, for these next few minutes, we can walk that road with them. Cleopas and Tom, Cleopas and Sarah, Cleopas and Tony, Cleopas and Sally, Walk it again this morning. And it has only been 48 hours since Jesus was laid in the tomb. So many words since since that hour. So many tears shed. So many recriminations. So many what-ifs. And here they are, still talking, 
still discussing, going over and over the same ground again as you do when something terrible has happened. Their spirits are heavy, their faces downcast. They have too many unanswered questions, too many unfulfilled hopes, too many dreams that are broken. And of course, many a Christian has walked that road of disappointment, of doubt and sometimes despair, walking, as it were, into the evening sun and into the darkness of night. Many a Christian has debated or argued or questioned within themselves the truth of the faith that we have received, the truth that they once believed fervently and passionately. Many a Christian, many of you here today, will have walked a road like that. Of course, in walking a road like that, when we feel like that, it does not diminish the fact that the resurrection has happened. These two do not believe it at the moment. Their hearts are heavy. Their feelings, though, cannot take away what has happened that morning, and neither can ours. And into their situation, out of nowhere, unseen, another person comes to join them. It is Jesus. Not that they know him or recognize him. He just slips alongside them. Not quite, perhaps, in the way described by a pupil in their RE homework on this topic, who wrote, The disciples were on their way to Emmaus when they were stopped by a young man who wanted a lift. Well, I'm not sure that, well, Jesus wanted a lift. And I'm not sure if it was the same pupil who also wrote, After Jesus was laid in the tomb, a large builder was put in front of it. Well, whether boulder or builder, it didn't stop God raising him from the dead. And here is Jesus now on the road. Luke writes in a lovely phrase, Jesus came up and walked along with them. A print of this picture, this painting by the Chinese-American artist Hei Kui, hangs in our kitchen. I love the colours and the way Jesus walks between the two of them, hands on their backs, gently touching them and encouraging them along. Why don't you just put your hand on somebody's shoulder, as Jesus might have done to, to those two people, walking alongside them. He just, hey guys, can I join you? Okay, that's it, that's it, no more. Although Jesus, of course, has joined them, they don't recognize him. And they carry on walking with their burdens and their grief. Later on, they'll look back and know that he was indeed with them. But for a few miles, they're oblivious of his presence. Why didn't they recognize him? Well, it could be that the appearance of Jesus himself has changed. You remember that Mary Magdalene didn't recognize Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. Maybe more practically, the light is beginning to fade on that stony, ill-made road. Their eyes are looking down as they carefully pick their way. And this light of the setting sun is in their eyes. Maybe that distorted things. Maybe they didn't even stop to look at 
the face of the stranger who's joined them, perhaps resentful that someone has intervened in the midst of their talking and their conversation and distress. That's also something that we can identify with. When we walk the road of disappointment, when we walk the road of dashed hopes, when we walk the road of pain and grief, we can fail to notice Jesus walking alongside with us. We can find it hard to listen out for his voice and prompt, to see him in other people, to see the opportunities in our way, to recognize the signs around us of God wanting to walk with us and speak to us. We can be too absorbed in our feelings, maybe too absorbed in our duties that we have to do that day, our eyes looking down rather than up and around. So Jesus surprises them, as he sometimes does to us. Of course, if it were us, having just risen from the dead, creeping up on them and overhearing their conversation, we might have tapped them on the shoulders and said, look behind you. But he doesn't do that, does he? Having listened to them for a while, he asks innocently enough, he's drawing them out, what are you discussing as you walk along? Good question for us. What is our conversation made up as we walk along? It's a leading question and it stops him in their tracks. This is one of the reasons why this is such an authentic story. It's so easy to picture the three of them walking until Jesus asks that question and then they suddenly stop dead and look at him, still not recognize him, and with a touch of irritation they say, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? And Jesus teases them a bit more. What things? He says, you get the sense, I do, that he's having just a little bit of fun with them, just enjoying their who they are and their questions, but drawing their story out of them, as he often did with people. And so they pour out their hearts. They tell him not what has happened, believing that he doesn't know. And in the middle of that account, that telling little phrase appears, we had hoped. Back to their dashed hopes and disappointments. I would be very surprised if there is anybody in this church this morning who could not complete the sentence, I had hoped that. Is there? We had hoped that this would happen. This would not happen. It's a sentence, a phrase, an experience common to humanity. For these two, of course, we had hoped that Jesus was going to be the new king of Israel. We had hoped he would oust the Romans. We would hope that he would usher in a new society. For us, it may not be that. It's something in ourselves, in other people, in life, sometimes in God we feel, that has not turned out as we had hoped. And so we all carry unfulfilled hopes, 
or perhaps better to say hopes not yet realized or fulfilled and so the two carry on telling the stranger the story that's begun to circulate since morning about the empty tomb first the words of the women are treated as female hysteria brought on no doubt by wishful thinking but when the men go to check it out and put it to bed this story they do indeed find that there's an empty tomb But although Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene and other women, he's not yet appeared to men on that first day. You know, spiritually speaking, women usually get there before men. Did you know that? Even when the men see the empty tomb for themselves, they don't believe that the women have seen Jesus. Mark says, when they heard from Mary Magdalene that Jesus was alive, they did not believe it. And Cleopas and his friend don't know what to believe. So now, Jesus gives them a bit of a ticking off. A bit of a rebuke. He begins, how foolish, how stupid you are. How slow of heart to believe. And again, he could say that to many of us on many a day. And so he gives them another back to basics, you know, first century alpha course taking them through from the very beginning of the Old Testament right the way demonstrating what he's told them before but what has not yet sunk in it starts of course starts off as a ticking off which must have taken them aback coming from this stranger who is he to tell us these things but as they walk along getting nearer to Emmaus something something is going on inside Their hearts are beginning to beat a bit faster, beginning to warm up. Have you ever had that feeling? You're deep in conversation with someone. It might be the start of falling in love. It might be the sight of your first child. It might have been that night when you gave your heart to Christ, if that's what you did for the very first time. You might remember that on the night of John Wesley's conversion in that hall in the city of London, he wrote afterwards, My heart was strangely warmed as the assurance of sins forgiven and new life in Christ really took hold of his life. You may have been warmed when someone prayed for you and laid hands on you for something. Or it may just have been you were deep in conversation with Christian friends and you just felt such a bond as you got excited together about the truth that we believe. And that's what's happening to these two. Oh, for more conversations like that, yes? When our hearts are warm within us, when we're so excited and we really believe it, both with Christians and with non-Christians. And so, as the sun nearly sets, the walk is nearly over, and before they know it, they've arrived at their out-of-town house. Jesus does one more little uh, action or game with them. He makes as if he's going to carry on walking while they turn aside. Because Jesus, you know, does not impose himself on anyone, but allows them to do the inviting. Yes, he'll knock on every man's door, And it is for us to open it and invite him in or keep him standing at the doorway or just not open the door 
at all. They, though, urge him to come in and eat with them. Like in Revelation 3.23, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, I will come in and eat with him. Maybe they took hold of Jesus' arm. said, come on in, you must come in. You Don't go any further. It's getting late. We want to hear more. Do you ever urge the Lord with pleading? I want to hear more from you, Lord. I want you to be more in my life. I want you to be more in control of the things that I do every day. Come in and stay with me. Don't just pass me by. Well, you can answer that question. But Jesus, of course, does come in. The three of them sit together at the table. I've been forgetting all my pictures here so carried away there's the road of disappointment we had hoped they still didn't believe and then he explained to them beginning with Moses there they are got back to my pictures so the three of them are in there some bread is on the table and whatever else is in the larder and before they start to eat Jesus takes the bread he gives thanks as we did earlier in church this morning and at last the scales fall from their eyes and the wax out of their ears This is the man they've seen before breaking bread, maybe with the feeding of the 5,000, or they heard about the Last Supper from the 11 disciples. And they hear him saying, take, eat, and giving thanks. And as soon as that happens, there's a moment of recognition. And you know what? Jesus is gone. The moment come, and suddenly he's gone. Their jaws drop. They must have dropped, mustn't it? Their eyes widen, and I'm sure a great big smile came across both their faces. Of course, says Cleopas, how could we have not recognized him? My my heart was burning away and pounding for all. What was yours doing? Mine too, says the anonymous one. Do you know what? I know it's late. We've got to go and tell the others what's happened now. And so they get up, maybe grab a bit of bread off the table, and set off to walk the seven miles back in the dark to Jerusalem. Only discover that Jesus got there first. It's a most wonderful story. It has many a telling phrase which we could expand at greater length with their time. It will repay pondering over and just putting yourselves in the sandals of those two people and letting Jesus draw alongside you and start to recognize him. A few years ago, the BBC made a documentary about the death of Princess Diana. It was called Seven Days That Shook the World. You remember it, some of you? They were indeed extraordinary days, I'm sure everyone here can remember those days. But you know, the seven days that really shook the world, that have really changed the world, were the seven days that began with the ride into Jerusalem, culminating in that empty tomb on that Easter Sunday morning. There's the garden tomb for Jerusalem that some of us have been to. That, those seven days shook the world. And whether we're walking the road of disappointment or whether we're walking on a road which is uh, full of sunshine, whether we are walking through the road of the valley of the shadow of death, which I know some have been either for themselves or for others, 
or whether we are running through the fields as it were with neither care in the world whatever our circumstances whatever the road that we are walking on at the present time the most important thing is there it's what happened there that is a fact of history that overcomes all our feelings and all our circumstances that's what we hold on to and these two people of whom we know virtually nothing these two nobodies if you like were amongst the very first to hear the news and this 100, 120 set of nobodies here this morning we know the news we've been privileged to have our eyes opened and to recognize Jesus in one way or another and if your eyes have not yet been opened or if they were opened and they've gone a little bit closed over the years because of maybe circumstances today can be a new day can't it of eyes being opened and of knowing who it is that is walking that road with you of knowing the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and is walking alongside you in this journey through life and then into life what a fantastic story that Luke has been inspired to give us as we walk our walk today and this week.